You're listening to So So Speaks, a different kind of podcast where each week we discuss everything and anything that matters. No boundaries, no limitations, just real conversations, real stories, and real facts. What's up, guys? Sona here, and welcome to part two of What Happened to Tamla Horsford. For those of you who did not get a chance to listen to part one, make sure to do that before listening to today's episode because there is a decent amount of context involved. So today I'm actually going to be joined by my cousin and best friend, Alka, and we're going to go over some of the points I mentioned in part one, and that way we can not only discuss everything that I noticed, but then she will also be able to put in her two cents as well. And this allows for more of a dialogue as opposed to me just talking at you. I should mention, however, for those of you who don't know me personally, I do live in France and my cousin lives in the US, so this will be a Skype conversation. So I do apologize in advance if the quality isn't as good as it should be, but we will do our best to make sure that it's as clear as possible. But before we do that, So after I published episode one, I actually got a tweet on Twitter and it was from Dr. Sam Klein, PhD, who runs a blog called Race and Grace. And she had listened to the episode. And so I actually noticed on her page that she had a link to an article that she had written on Tamla Horsford, and she brings up some very good points. So she has graciously allowed me to talk about her article in this episode, and for that, I am grateful. So thank you so much, Dr. Klein. All right, so I'm going to bring Alka on the line, but before I do that, I want to talk about something that Dr. Klein mentioned in her article that I didn't even notice. It's something that I didn't even think about, and I didn't think to look for, and I should have. And so I'm very grateful that I actually read this article and that she's allowed me to use it in this episode, because this is something extremely important. And that is Tamla's time of death. On her death certificate, it says that she died at 1.30 a.m., but if you remember, Remember from the timeline, Bridget Fuller left at 1.47 a.m. So either the timeline is completely fabricated or Tamla was already dead by the time Bridget Fuller left, which only raises even more red flags. Especially when Bridget Fuller is allegedly the last person to see Tamla alive. So how is it that her time of death is 1.30 when Bridget Fuller left at 1.47 Anyway, that's something that I found important to mention before I get Alka on the line. But now that I've gotten that out of the way, let's see what Alka has to say about all of this. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? The show starts in 10. Get into it. Okay, guys, so we have Olka on the line. As I said, she is my best friend and my cousin, and she actually noticed some things about this case that I didn't. Before we get to that, she's just going to introduce herself to you guys so you know who she is. So go ahead. 
Hi, everyone. I am so excited to be here. Like Sona said, my name is Olka. I'm her cousin and best friend. And I'm really excited to be here on this podcast. I think this case is really important. And as you pointed out to me the other day, the police have said that this case is closed, which is crazy, right? There's so many yeah. unanswered questions. Definitely crazy. There, there are so many unanswered questions. And that's the thing. And as we read more into the case, it just brings up more questions, which is crazy. Yes. So some of those questions. So one thing I was noticing when I was reading some articles about this yesterday, one thing that just jumped out to me immediately was the mm -hmm. day that this happened was the end of daylight savings. So at 2 a.m., the clocks went back an hour, which I feel like wow. messes up the entire timeline that um, actually is interesting because yes so that was in the article that was written by dr klein and i had no idea so when i did episode one i actually had no clue and that's crazy because now it you know it begs the question whether the whole timeline was fabricated or whether they actually took that into account but it wasn't anywhere in the reports they actually did not mention it Right. So for everyone who is listening, one of the things that we kind of created this timeline from was the times on the security camera, right. the times from the medical professional who examined her body and placed when she died. But I think it calls everything into question because it says that some people were leaving at 1.47 a.m., 1.57 a.m., but we don't know if that was 147, 157, the original time, or if it was after time had fallen back. So it right. might have really been 257 or 230. I think it begs a question whether the security system was updated automatically, if the time changed automatically on the security system. Right. Um, I mean, one, yeah, would assume, I one would assume that because it's a security system and we'll say that maybe it runs via, you know, Wi-Fi or whatever, that it would update automatically. But at the end of the day, they did not mention that in the police report. So how do we know? Right. And the other part of this, too, is that the medical professional who placed her time of death said that they believed she died around 1.30 a.m. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm wondering if probably they were doing that backwards in time, right? They're looking at the lividity. They're looking right, at exactly. how her body is. And they're saying, oh, this happened 12 hours ago, 11 hours ago. Right, but then right. when they're determining that time, was he looking at a watch that was updated and doing the math backwards? Like, what if her oh, time of death is also an hour off? That is a um, very good point. And the thing is, in the timeline, because I mentioned this in the intro, in the timeline, it says that at 1.47 a.m., Bridget Fuller left. So how is it that she was, like, Tamla supposedly died at 1.30 a.m.? That means that she had already been dead by the time that Bridget Fuller left. Right. So it could have been that... Bridget Fuller left at 147 and Tamil actually died at 230. But then when the person was doing the math, they just thought it was 130 because time had gone back already. Uh, yeah. Or it could have been the opposite way. And she actually died at 230 and Bridget Fuller left like at 250 or 247, like 17 yeah. minutes later. Right. So we have no idea just based on the fact that there was a major time change oh at God. that same time. That just time. makes everything so much more complicated. And 
confusing when it already is complicated and confusing because they as professionals they should have made sure to mention that so why is it that it's dr klein that has to you know mention okay it was daylight savings you know it's just weird it's odd yeah i also wanted to talk to you about the 911 tape i want to hear your thoughts on it because i listened to it yeah let me hear what you think the thing is when i did episode one i decided that i the thing is i knew that the 911 tape existed and i had already listened to it before but then when i was doing episode one i was like okay i'm just going to focus on the case files that i have but then listening to the 911 call there are just a lot of things that come up but the main thing that comes up is the fact that jose barrera mentions that apparently it's jean marie mayers as opposed to jean marie mayers as i mentioned in episode one so i i mispronounced her name but apparently she has a camera system that was on the back deck because he mentions that in the 911 call he says well my girlfriend has a camera system so we could see what happened because they at that point they're speculating that she actually did fall off the deck yet in the police reports there's no mention of any camera system but it also what i don't understand is it doesn't make sense because these days you don't just have a security system that tells you you know when the door is open and closed that's just bizarre normally you have a camera system which is together with the system that tells you about your doors being opened and closed. So that's to me. I I don't know about that. I think you can choose. I think I know a few people who have one or the other. I don't think, you know, I think you can choose. It depends on your budget and all of that, whether you're going to get cameras or not. But in the 911 tape, he distinctly says, there's cameras back there. So we should be able to see if that's the area where it happened, we should be able to see. And then in the same, same 911 tape mm. maybe even 3 minutes later he actually changes his he changes what he says yes, and he says he actually he says actually there's no cameras back there and so we're not going to be able to see that and you hear his girlfriend talking in the background yes. you, like, and you hear her say something in the background mm-hmm. i don't know if that begs the question of whether she was coaching him i don't know right there i feel as though there's enough unanswered questions for this to not be a closed case i don't want to insinuate necessarily that there was foul play but it Mm -hmm. seems really weird that Mm -hmm. this guy he's very calm he's very collected and he definitely says there's cameras back there so Mm -hmm. we can see what happens and if he's familiar with the house he lives there or he's been there i mean i don't think that's a mistake that you make no, it's um, not a mistake. He said it very clearly. He said, well, my girlfriend has cameras. And the thing is, that's his girlfriend. He's been in that house multiple times, we can assume, because he was there. He spent the night there. It, it just seems that there's a place where that he, he's used to being there. But one thing I wanted to ask you, because when I listened to the 911 call, I heard, so first, the person who calls is Jean or Jean, I don't know how to pronounce her name, <laughs> Marie Bears, the house owner. And then she passes the phone on to Jose Barrera, right? So he's talking. And so we know that the aunt Madeline is there. But I hear multiple female voices in the background. And I don't know if you agree with that or not. Because it brings me to my next point. But what did you, what do you think? Did you hear other female voices or or what are your thoughts on that? 
I think I mostly heard the one. I also wasn't really listening for the background. I think I was really focusing in on him and his kind of tone. Yeah, and the way he was talking. And yeah, so I want to hear what you want to say about these female voices, but I also want to come back to some of the things he says in the phone calls. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I just wanted to say that, so he mentions that, because basically the 911 operator asks him, so... She says, are the people that's, that were there at the party still there at this moment? And he was like, and then he went and he spoke to someone. So we can assume that it was his girlfriend. And then he said, um, well, there are four people that were here at the party that are no longer here. But mm. as I mentioned in episode one, we, we have one guest that is unaccounted for in the police report, which was Jennifer Morell. And so I... Mm. If you count the four people aside from John Marie Mayers and Jose Barrera, as well as Madeline, that leaves five people, right? And he said that there were four people that were no longer there. So that means that there was one person extra that was there. And she's not mentioned in the police reports, right? Exactly. And why? So where did she go? Exactly. (laughs) Where did she go? Why isn't she in the police reports? Because in the police reports, it mentions how they asked the guests that had left to come back. And I guess that's how they constructed their timeline. But there's literally no mention of Jennifer Morrell at all. That's weird. It's very weird. It doesn't make sense. And so I was thinking, maybe she was there. But then why? Either it's, well, I don't want to insinuate anything, but if I was a detective, I would make sure on something like this is not something that you just let go. Anyway, what were you going to say? Yeah, one thing I wanted to point out, and you pointed this out as well, was that he mentions in one of the police reports that he, and this is the boyfriend, I don't know what his name is, Jose. Jose. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Jose mentions that he's cleaning up and he says right. he's picking up, he's like, oh, there's cigarette butts and this is, you know, this is the brand she smokes. And, and she, she was the only smoker there. So he makes sure to mention that she was the only smoker at that party. Right. And it begs the question, like, there's a dead body in the yard. Why are you cleaning up? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And he actually, on the 911 tape, you hear him call 911. Mm -hmm. And then he's, like you mentioned, he's on the tape the whole time, all the way until the police gets there. And that's actually something. Sorry. We hear him go upstairs. We hear him go upstairs. And he is looking around and he says, oh, here's some cigarettes and some a lighter. And I'm like, is he cleaning up while he's on the phone with 911? He must have been because we, like, I didn't know this in episode one. And I had I had listened to the 911 call, but I guess I didn't pay enough attention before I read the reports. But he's actually on the phone to 911 until the police arrive, right? But he tells the detectives that he had been cleaning up. And so either he cleaned up before they called 911 or as you said they cleaned up why well he cleaned up while he was on the phone to 911 right and as you mentioned previously i mean he is or he was until he got fired mm-hmm. a probation officer yes. and so someone is like that i mean we we just listen to true crime like on the side this guy mm-hmm. is like in law enforcement, you you would know not to mess exactly. with the scene of a crime. No, yeah, exactly. But the thing is, or we like, already know from the fact that he was fired for accessing the case file that he has no regard for that sort of thing. Like, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Why would you put your job at risk? Like, 
that's just common sense. Let's be honest. You wouldn't so your listeners know that, that he got fired. Yeah. I mentioned, I mentioned it in episode one. And the thing is because one of the detectives that um, went to the house actually wrote in the report that he recognized him as a felony probation officer. And mm. so they knew each other. And then eventually it came out that he was fired. Jose Barrera was fired for accessing the case files for this case from his work computer. Mm, Which I think is, I mean, as a law enforcement officer, regardless of which department or what field you're in, you know that, you know, you're not supposed to access certain files, you know, from a work computer. Like if it's an open investigation, you're not supposed to be accessing the files. But he took that risk. So the question is, why did he take that risk? Yeah, I know. It could be anything. Like, it could be morbid curiosity. Like, he could just be really curious. Or, you know, there could be something else going on. Again, I want to be careful of kind of insinuating that there was foul play here. But I feel as though it's just, there's just so many weird discrepancies and unanswered questions. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask you, what do you think about this idea of, race being involved because that was one of the things I was reading was Forsyth (laughs) is it Forsyth County Forsyth County Georgia apparently has a a long history of racism like basically black people have been killed mercilessly in that county before right and I was reading that it's one of these or well until recent history that it's a sundown or a sunset town where like people of color shouldn't be out after dark right, um, that's what I heard the article well. did mention that in this past mayoral race that Stacey Abrams did win so maybe some of that sentiment has changed but mm. it, one of the reasons this case blew up was because it was one black woman in this home of all white people or well mostly white people and that's one of the reasons that it really kind of took off as far as the media and social media so what do you think of that well the thing is i have to admit you know having left the u.s i don't if i'm a hundred percent honest do i think that she was murdered in cold blood because of her race absolutely not do i think that the case was treated callously because of her race yes i do i think that they just took the fact that they that you know what the people said it was an accident and and ran with that and and i do think that her injuries were because of her fall that i i do think but I think that they should have taken more time to investigate the case. And if we, you know, as civilians have noticed discrepancies in statements or have noticed certain things about the case that just don't add up, I think that mm-hmm. as detectives, they should have spent more time looking into this case because these are discrepancies that you just don't forget about or you just don't brush under the rug. So I do think that because of her race, her case was not taken as seriously as it should have been. But I do not think that she was murdered because of her race, which a lot of people online have been saying. Yeah, it's really hard. um, What do you think? Because you live in the U.S. I no longer live in the U.S. You live in the U.S. So what do you think about this in terms of her race? I mean, it's true that police departments all over the United States treat cases where there are victims of color just completely differently than any other cases. They do. They are less thorough. They're less kind to the families. And they are more callous. You know, I don't say that as 
anti-police sentiment, but that's the but truth right. I mean, that's of what is that's been happening in the U.S. It's it's fact. It's not right. you know we're not fabricating anything. It's fact. Right. And in a small Georgia county, exactly. I don't think those police have gone through racial sensitivity training or anything. I really right. doubt that. So that makes me think that, you know, it could have easily been an accident. But one of the things I read was that if it had been a white woman who had died in the presence of an oh, entire yeah. party of people of color, this would be a totally oh, different one totally different so let's That's just think about if the tables were flipped this case would not be closed right now it's i don't not. think and the thing is her father apparently allegedly because we haven't actually been able to find this autopsy report but allegedly her father had a second autopsy done which apparently conflicted with the initial one. But we haven't been able to find that. So we can't, you know, go into that as much as we'd like to. But either way, her family does believe 100% that there was foul play or that something went wrong. I don't think she was murdered in cold blood, but I do think that something happened and that it's being, you know, dismissed. I think that she did fall from that height. I think that's what caused her injuries. But I think that there's more to the story than we're being told. And, you know, like, what if it was an accident, but someone was there? Like, maybe she had stood up on top of it and was being a little bit wild and fell to her death. And, like, no one called or did anything. You know what I mean? We don't know, I guess, how long it took her to die or, like... Yeah, it just seems odd to me that that many people were around and it took so long to find her to the point where, you know, lividity was like setting in when they found her. Exactly. I can understand if everyone was kind of hungover and still sleeping in the house, but people were like actively leaving while she was actively, actively leaving, not to mention the fact that the door was open. You know, if I was staying at someone's house and I woke up and I saw that the door, the back door was open, knowing that there was a security system, I would be a bit Mm -hmm. concerned, you know, Mm -hmm. you you would know if the door was, I mean, was it like a jar or was it just slightly slightly open? open. It was slightly open based off of what the house owner, said it was Mm -hmm. slightly open and someone might not notice that maybe right but I mean I feel like you would know I mean I would notice but then again you know everyone is different I would notice if it was like closed or slightly open because at the end of the day if it's four in the morning you would feel the breeze coming in you know if you're leaving and and you would notice that the door was slightly ajar because that was apparently uh, the door was slightly ajar but the thing is one thing that I forgot to mention about the 911 call. So Jose Barrera in the 911 call says that Tamla was the last person he saw before he went to bed. And he says around 1 a.m. But then in the statement that he gave the detectives, he says 1.30 a.m. So which is it? You know? Yeah, I don't know. Could that have to do with the time change as well? Right. That's what I mean. Like everything. The thing is, they should have accounted for this time change in the reports i feel like everything was just like done and shut and it was like oh it's a, it was an accident period full stop you know it doesn't make sense because there's a lot of mm-hmm. things about this case that are just not adding up like the 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 lady that found tamla's body was she mm-hmm. looking out the window or was she going outside to check the temperature you know mm-hmm. thing is in cases like this you have to make sure that everyone's statement adds up 
because if mm-hmm. they if it doesn't you know doesn't it it's not that how that's not well let me not get sued but like that's just not <laughs> how it should go you know you have to make sure that things add up otherwise the case should not be closed oh man that is so so it's, strange yeah it is very strange and i can understand why people are you know very up in arms about it especially the african-american community i understand that you know they feel that it's it's very sketchy and i understand that because it is it's a very sketchy story the fact that he mentioned the camera system and then backtracked on that that bothers me because i feel like what well, were the cameras or were there not cameras you know right. And the other thing that was mentioned was basically until this case blew up on social media, almost no one talked about it. It wasn't in the local news. Like there was an article, I think, about Jose even getting fired, but like nothing really about her and nothing about this case, which again, you know, if we flip the script and this was a white woman who died in the presence of all people of color, this would, that would be completely It would blow up. It would be all over the place. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah, it was not in the news or anything. The thing is, I came across it. I don't even remember how I came across. I think I just by chance, because you know, I'm I, I tend to read a lot of crime articles and stuff like that. I think I just came across it by chance, and I was like, "Oh, that's weird." And then I moved on. But then eventually, I started thinking about it a lot more, and I was like, "Well, this is weird." Mm-hmm. But I chose to look at the um, the crime, the investigation reports, the official crime scene reports to see if I noticed anything. And the thing is, that speaks a lot because even in the official reports, there are things that don't add up. And we as civilians are noticing that, which is unacceptable. There has to be some sort of resolve here. Like, I, it doesn't make sense that there are these discrepancies in the official reports. It's not even fabrication at this point. It's literally in the reports. And there are things that just aren't adding up, especially when you take the 911 call into consideration, which I didn't talk about in episode one. And I just don't get it. So, you know, we've talked a lot about these kind of discrepancies. And I do think that maybe it's a little easy to kind of point out um, where there are discrepancies, but let's talk about if her death was accidental and maybe let's say the discrepancies came from different people saying different, you know, people saying things to officers that get written down differently, maybe than they were said. Or people just misspeaking. Cause we know that from being fans of true crime and like looking at true crime that like eyewitnesses aren't the best really, right. you know, maybe some, maybe he said he saw her at one thirty, but it really wasn't like all sorts of things could have changed in the translation of it being documented. So, mm-hmm. you know, if this was an accidental death, for some reason she gets on top of the balcony and like falls off. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I still feel a little bit weird about it, especially because she was found face down. Um, yes. I think it's a little bit weird for if you're going to fall. Exactly. Like hurt exactly. Yourself. That's um, true. I, yeah. And then, yeah, I just. Especially when her neck, we know her neck was broken from the autopsy report, but right. she was found face down and her, and her, like her neck was straight. And on top of that, actually remind me of the two marks on her shins right Mm. that detectives said corresponded to a piece of metal edging that was only one inch 
or so off the ground. But so initially, detectives actually thought that she had tripped over this metal edging and had some sort of medical episode, you know, like a heart attack or something like that. They didn't mention that, but I'm, I'm just, you know, guessing they by medical episode, they meant some sort of heart attack or stroke or something like that. But then when they took this theory to the um, medical professionals, they were like, no, her injuries were too severe for it to have been some sort of medical episode and tripping just over this landscape edging. But they, they make sure to mention that she has two marks on her shins that correspond to the height of this metal edging. So if she fell from the balcony, which was 14 feet off the ground, so what caused those two marks on her shins? Yeah. That doesn't make true. sense. There's, there's, the thing is, there's literally no... They just so, like say that it can't be that, and they don't go back to it. So what caused those two question. marks? I have a question. When they found her, was she physically on the metal edging? Like, that sounds no. like... No. So when they found her, and there's actually a diagram, like, drawn, sorry, by the CSI team. The way they found her was they found her, so she was face down in the lawn, and she was, like, I guess above the metal edging. She was near enough to it that they thought that she had tripped over that. But her neck was straight, and she her feet were behind her, like, straight out behind her. But one of her arms was, like, at a at an angle and that's mm-hmm. how they saw that her wrist seemed to be dislocated so she it's not like she was like like it looked the way her body was positioned it did look that like she had tripped over that metal edging and she had those two marks on her shins to correspond to that but the injuries that she had were far too severe for her to have just tripped over that metal edging right so I don't know. Honestly, I'm just, it, it's a very, it's a very confusing case. I honestly find it quite frustrating how confusing this is and how quickly they closed it. And her family and friends also, you know, feel the same, but oh, like, I, my heart yes. definitely goes out to her family. Oh, yeah. She had five kids. That is just so, I mean, I feel as though just for the fact that, her family is continuing to have questions that she's mm. a mother of five, that this case just isn't closed yet. And I, know. Um, I really want the police to come out and adequately I think they should reopen answer this these case. questions. They need to reopen this case and reevaluate everything that happened. I mean, and what is really going on in Forsyth, Georgia? Are they so busy that they can't look at this? Right. That's what I mean. But the thing is, the reputation for people of color in that county is very, very bad. And so, you know, we never know what's going on. But there are a lot of people that are just not okay with what is happening, you know, in terms of people of color in the U.S. And I agree there's a lot there's a lot that needs to be discussed and there's a lot that needs to be changed. And I just find it really sad that she died in this way and it was literally not given enough of a thought. You know, they didn't even take the time to really investigate this and look at the discrepancies. And it's a shame that we as civilians can find discrepancies and they not even, you know, take the time to look into them as professionals, as police officers. (sighs) It's very sad. But I hope that, you know, there is a resolution to this and that ultimately they do decide to reopen the case and look into things. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I have so many unanswered questions and I feel really bad for Tamala's family, her kids, and just this whole situation is just really sad. And um, I, I do hope that they reopen the case and I do hope that they actually investigate thoroughly all of the way and answer her family's questions. Yeah, I hope so. But as you said, my sincere thoughts and condolences go out to her family. And I really hope that they are able to find peace in this very difficult time because I know that it's going to be difficult for a while and that I hope her kids are going to find peace one way or the other. But we won't forget her and we will continue to advocate for cases like hers so that, you know, this doesn't continue to happen. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I have been, I was so happy when you asked me to, and I'm really excited that you're doing this podcast and, um, you know, just considering issues like this that maybe haven't gotten their due. Um, right. So yeah, thank you. No, thank you. I'm very excited that we, because we're kind of doing this together in a sense, you know, we've been talking about it for a while. So I, look forward to having you on future episodes we're actually doing a series together but we will get to that we'll talk about that later um you guys will hear about it and she will potentially be starting her own podcast can i say that Yes, I, I'm <laughs> so glad that you did. I actually just yesterday, you know, I feel very inspired by you getting this podcast <laughs> off of the ground. And so just yesterday, I was like making a timeline for launching. So I'm really hoping uh, that June 6th this year, um, we're watching the Black Moon podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about Black Death. We're going to be talking about, awesome. you know, the political implications of Black people dying. You know, we say Black I Lives Matter. That. Um, but we need to talk about Black people dying. And also, one thing that's happened in the last 10 years, which people really don't realize that just the internet coming about in the last 10 years, all a lot of us have started experiencing Black people dying online. And yeah. what does that mean for our psyches? What does that mean for oh, wow, the way that's really around the world? Yeah. yeah. That's so, a good point. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, so it's the Black Moon podcast, June 6th of this year. I'm really excited. I love um, it. Follow it on Instagram. I'm going to have a website and an email address. Perfect. So, yeah, thank you so much. That's awesome. So, thank you so much for being part of this episode. And we, I look forward to having more episodes with you in the future and obviously guys tune in to her podcast when it comes out i will link everything in my description and so thank you so much and i will speak to you soon all right elka bye bye yeah they can't hold us back we on another level yeah it's that new age ain't it something special yeah we gonna change the game Hey. This is the new age. Now they wanna play cause they tryna get paid, but they